Donald Trump endorsed Mike DeWine last night. Kind of odd, given how hard Trump worked against DeWine earlier in the primary. It's a strange situation, but you get the feeling that Donald Trump just wants to say he backed a winner. And DeWine (laughs) looks like he'll be the clear winner, as we'll be talking about shortly on Today in Ohio. It's the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Leila Tassi, and Laura Johnston. And Lisa, you're up first. How far behind Governor Mike DeWine is his Democratic challenger, Nan Whaley, in the money game as they reach the final two months of their campaigns? Well, honestly, Mike DeWine doesn't need Trump's help, apparently, because he's got more than twice as much money um, than his Democratic uh, challenger, Nan Whaley. He's got $14.1 million. He's had that since 2015. He raised $1.5 million last month alone. Compare that to Nan Whaley. She's got $6.3 million as of the end of August, and she only raised about $910,000 in the month of August. This is actually, Whaley has actually raised less than any Democratic governor nominee since 2006. That would be Ted Strickland. Um, And Richard Cordray in the last gubernatorial election, the Democratic challenger there, he raised $10.8 million by September 6th of of 2018 during his campaign. Um, DeWine also got, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in TV attack ads from the Republican Governors Association, but he will start running his first general election ad tomorrow. So not an attack ad, just a, I'm a great governor, please reelect me ad. Um, Nan Whaley has been running 15 second ads in the last few weeks. I've seen several of them. She's desperately trying to build name recognition. Let's chew on this one a little bit, because I I think where we stand today would have been unfathomable nine months ago. That If you think back to when Ed Fitzgerald, kind of a joke candidate, ran against John Kasich, he didn't have a lot of ammunition. But Nan Whaley has a ton of ammunition that she could use effectively. Mike DeWine did not uphold his oath to support the Constitution in the gerrymandering battle. Mike DeWine appointed the guy to the head of the Utilities Commission who was at the center of the bribery scandal. I mean, you have the utility saying we gave him bribes, millions of dollars in bribes. Mike DeWine signed the heartbeat bill. Mike DeWine, while professing, while standing next to Whaley in Dayton after a mass shooting to be a a common sense gun guy, has signed every gun bill. There's four things that she has that she could use to say, hey, Ohioans, this guy isn't the good guy you think he is. And she's not doing it. It's just not there. She did not use the Supreme Court abortion ruling to really rally people to, to, to her side. And so here we sit. You're talking about the money they raised. I hear that the money in the bank, it's even more lopsided, that she's pretty much empty. She spent it all and he's got tons. I just if this was a, a campaign you thought would have some real vigor. And it's what's she doing? She has no fire in her belly. I mean, and I've seen, I watch, you know, evening news, so I always see the political ads and she's kind of leaning on these, you know, blue collar bona fides, you know, kind of almost, it looks like she's trying to mirror Tim Ryan. Oh, I'm this, you know, blue collar, you know, basic woman, you know, from this town in Ohio. And there's not a whiff of attack or anything against DeWine at all in her ads. 
I, yeah, I, it's one that I it, I just am amazed because there was an ability here to to land some blows, and it's been pretty much an invisible campaign. If you were a, a, a campaign strategist, right, you'd you would have loved to have this campaign because Mike DeWine has these vulnerabilities, but Ohio's not hearing about those at all. Meanwhile, you're right, Tim Ryan is out there pressing the flesh, talking to lots of people. He made a strategy to get the center because he's got the far left. This mm-hmm. is a battle for the center, and he's been very effective. The, the difference between these two these two campaigns is pretty astounding. But it's, it's a shame because I think when people go to the polls, they're not going to have much of a choice. They're going to pull the levers for DeWine because they're, if she can't run a campaign, how is she going to run the the state of Ohio. I guess the one thing, and we talked about this previously, there was a big increase in women registering to vote. And mm-hmm. so if abortion is a telltale issue, maybe maybe Whaley will get some support. I don't know. It's uh, it's just a surprise that this is where we stand. No money, no fire in the belly, no focus on what are the important issues to Ohioans. And she's not really drawing any Democratic money. I mean, either in state or out of state. It seems like fundraisers are focusing on the Ryan Vance Senate race instead of the governor race. Because as a poli sci professor, uh, Tom Sutton at Baldwin Wallace University says, you know, Whaley has a really slim chance to win. And it depends on Democratic turnout and those who are voting for reproductive freedom. Yeah, well, that that could be the wild card. Republicans are afraid of that across the nation. It's today in Ohio. So, Laura, which Cleveland sports team is the first to get approved to run a sports book? And what other Cleveland businesses received the nod on Wednesday? The Browns. So we're still waiting on the Cavs and the Guardians, but those are probably coming. The Ohio Casino Control Commission has to actually hear and approve all the applications so they can't rubber stamp everything in a day. But the, under the, the way that the uh, amendment was worded, uh, they should be able to get them um, under state law. So uh, Jack Casino and Jack Thistledown actually got them as well. That were the first three in greater Cleveland. Um, elsewhere in the state, Columbus Crew, Murfield Village Golf Club in Dublin, Cincinnati Reds, Hollywood Casino in Toledo, and Hollywood Mahoney Valley Racino near Youngstown. Um, so far, 22 businesses have applied for the mobile sports betting licenses, 26 for the sports books. Yeah, the Browns could use the help, I think. Based on what we're hearing from readers, they're going to be losing some revenue based on the Deshaun Watson. That that controversy continues to have legs. Look, we can see it in the traffic. This is the first period heading into the season that we haven't seen the Browns bump we always see. People have just peeled away. It'll be interesting to see whether they come back as the season begins. So the Browns can use the money. Uh, Not surprising that they were the first in. And this allows them basically to to take bets from people. It's like the legal version of the bookie, right? Right, exactly. This is a physical space that they can put in their stadium where people can make sports bets. And so the term sports book is confusing to me because it it sounds like you should be opening a book, but this is a physical location. Um, There's a couple others that have applied. The Downtown Harry Buffalo uh, and Ravencrest LLC wants them, and there's only, you can get five in Cuyahoga, Franklin, and Hamilton counties, each of those. You get 40 statewide, so um, the Guardians and the Cavs are supposed to get it, but I'm with you, Chris. I was just talking to to folks at the soccer tournament over the weekend my kids were at and I and they they said they weren't really paying attention to the Browns and it doesn't 
uh, surprise them that our traffic is down because of Deshaun Watson. So maybe the Browns are going to be like, come on in, bet for whoever you want. You don't even have to like the Browns. Look, I I would have thought it impossible to actually drive away Browns fans because we know it's been the most significant part of our audience for years. And every year at this time of the year, you see the big bump. But what they did with Deshaun Watson, and now they're hosting a fundraiser for J.D. Vance, which is compounding it. For half the audience, that's a, what? What are you doing? I don't get why they're doing that. They're driving away the the liberal side of their audience. But they've driven them away. I mean, people are angry. We got we got an email yesterday that our sports manager, Dave Campbell, shared saying, you know, I, I, I've been with them all my life. I wore their jerseys. I've always been there. But then Deshaun Watson and now J.D. Vance, I'm done. They never get another dime. I'm not going to spend another minute paying attention mm-hmm. to them. We can see it. It's tangible. There, there is. It is there. The only question is, as games start this weekend, exactly. do people fall back into their fall habits. They sit on their sofa, they watch the game, and only time will... And we've got a barn burner for the first game. I mean, we're playing, what is it, the Panthers who have Baker Mayfield now? So yeah, who's not going to be watching that game? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, Lisa, I never would have <laughs> suspected we would be at the place we are now with that, with that anger and tangible drop in the number of people paying attention. I, I I wonder if anybody listening would know the answer to this. Is the sports book nomenclature, does that come from the old days of bookies where they'd walk around with a little notebook with all their bets penciled in and that that, that just has moved into the mainstream? No, oh, we sure don't know, obviously, but yeah, maybe but somebody who's listening we, does. Yeah, and I bet we know the people to ask. Yeah, it'd be interesting if that's where it came from. Okay, I, we, we do expect the Cavs, the Guardians will get it because the law was mm-hmm. written in such a way to give it to them and, and right. help boost them. And the Guardians could certainly use it because they're one of the smallest market teams out there. It's amazing that they managed to compete with the dollars they have. So getting them a few more bucks, maybe they'll go buy a hitter. It's today in Ohio. The rights or the lack of rights for mobile home park tenants is getting a good bit of attention of late with a park on Lake Erie recently changing hands and now residents in two Lake County parks are suing the companies managing them. Layla, before we get to what they allege, we should mention in that Lake Erie park that we discussed last week, we should have mentioned that a third of the tenants there have stopped paying rent to the new owner, which changes the dynamic there a little bit. Yeah, that does. And and I think we will follow that too. That is, um, that's an important factor that, uh, that we will be reporting on as well, that, that the, uh, uh, the Western Reserve says that, 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 that a third of the tenants uh, have been defaulting on their rent since they took over that property in December. So you're right, that does change the dynamic. And so we won't, we won't, uh, fail to report that that's coming. But in this case, uh, what you've been describing, the Legal Aid Society of Greater Cleveland and the Pingsville-based Latino advocacy group, HOLA, filed lawsuits against these two other companies that operate mobile home parks in Perry and Painesville on behalf of residents who say that they've been subjected to really dangerous living conditions and and utility price gouging and discriminatory behavior against Mexican immigrants. 
and the companies are, are Jones Estates Perry and Jones Estates Fairground, although the suit also names a private utility sub-metering company called Five Star Metering. The majority of the 700 residents in these parks are Mexican immigrants, and they say they've been victims of targeted harassment and intimidation. The complaint says that the residents are charged double what they should be for water and sewer utilities, and that their water lines have flooded numerous times, leaving raw sewage all over the place. They even said that a fire recently broke out, and firefighters discovered that there were no water pumps, which is just unfathomable. So, They say white residents have longer grace periods to pay their bills and that management frequently make derogatory remarks about them or threaten to call immigration if they report them to authorities. Uh, even, Even the advocate said during a news conference that while she was talking to residents about the problems that they're experiencing, a property manager approached her and threatened to have her arrested. So just pretty terrible conditions, hoping that there's some justice on the other side of this case for these families. Yeah, it, it, but you, this is one of those unique situations where you own the, the material home. You own the trailer often. Sometimes you're a renter, but you don't own the land that it sits on, and it's very hard to move it. And so you're kind of a hostage to the people that own and manage the place. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that was something that, you know, Courtney Astolfi had pointed out in her, um, in her story about the, the, mobile home park on on Lake Erie is that you do own the, the the mobile home, but after time, those mobile homes start to degrade and they're not easy to just pick up and move. The mobile is sort of a misnomer. You can't, you know, they start to fall apart. They, they kind of rot in place. And so you are, as you said, held hostage by, by the property in a sense. And so, um, yeah, and, and new and really, even if you could move it, other places generally don't let you in because they want to have newer looking homes. So it's a true. it's a terrible situation for people who are there with owners who are are not looking out for the best interest of everyone. Uh, so it's just surprising that these are jumping into the news. We haven't talked about mobile home parks in quite some time. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Today in Ohio. University Hospitals has been taking it on the chin for its big cutback in services in two Cleveland suburbs, but the Cleveland Clinic is going in another direction, giving new life to a vacant former Kmart. Lisa, what's their plan? Yeah, this is so interesting, you know, because developers will tell you that vacated big box stores are really hard to release. So this is really good news. The Cleveland Clinic is renovating the old Kmart at 17840 Bagley Road in Middleburg Heights. It'll be used for primary and specialty care. They say it will be a full service facility. It'll have radiology, labs, drive through pharmacy, and most other service lines. The Cleveland Clinic is working with Premier Development Partners to transform this building. It's 93,000 square feet. They hope to open it next summer. So this will be open in less than a year if all things go well. Middleburg Heights Mayor Matt Castelli says he's very excited to expand their existing medical corridor. And he says this should add about 300 good paying jobs to his city. So if you're waiting in the waiting room, uh, will there be like blue light specials down the hall where (laughs) you come down here and you get your shot? You know, I mean, is it going to have the Kmart feel? Just seems odd to be going into a building like that as a medical facility. I wonder how much they can change the, the atmosphere of it. Well, with a big box store, there are generally no walls inside. I mean, it's basically a warehouse. 
you know, and probably a storage thing in the back. So I imagine that it would be fairly easy to transform. I mean, if they're doing it in less than a year, that's, that sounds like it's not a very difficult job. Uh, Dr. Donald Malone with the Cleveland Clinic says, you know, they don't have a whole lot of outpatient capacity in Middleburg Heights, even though it has a fairly large population. So they see this as filling a need there. Yeah, I just, I think the idea of a cavernous building doesn't fit with your medical consultation. I wonder if they drop the ceilings. It'd be interesting I'm to sure. see what it looks like, but it's good that they're, they're spreading services. At the same time, their competitor is cutting way back and catching a good bit of grief because of that. It's Today in Ohio. What did our Saving You Money columnist Sean McDonald get for the five bucks he paid for a box of random produce at Giant Eagle? Laura, this was a fascinating take by Sean on trying to deal with a tight budget in these inflationary times. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've got to give my uh, kudos to Sean for trying this because I think I would have been a little leery of buying some random produce box. and But he did it. And um, his column is great. He's, he's writing weekly about ways to save you money. And last week, he got me to sign up for the Advantage Pay at the gas station. So now I'm saving 20 and 30 cents a gallon. But this is... <laughs> This is Flash Food. This is an app that lets customers buy discounted food that's about to expire by the sell-by date. So you can get prepared food, steak, fruit juices, yogurt, candy, all sorts of things. This is a produce box. It's kind of like a grab bag. You don't know exactly what's in it, though you do see a picture of a box a little bigger than a shoebox. And so Sean could see for this lot, there was six peppers and it was $5. And he figured six peppers for $5 is not terrible. He's going to take a chance. So he ended up with the six peppers, sweet potatoes, a package of basil, a package of sliced baby bell mushrooms, and a bag of cherry tomatoes, a head of iceberg lettuce, four tomatoes and four tomatillos, which are the little fruits that look like green unripe tomatoes with husks. He said some were was perfectly fine. Others looked like it needed to be eaten soon. And a surprising amount was marked organic. So turns out it was worth 30 bucks if he had bought it all fresh just from the grocery store. And he has all these clever ways that he used it. Like he made tomato sauce with the tomatoes and had a stir fry with the mushrooms. So he, he thinks it's a great deal. There was. It wasn't like he got moldy, decomposing no. vegetables. This stuff was all still very edible. It's just it didn't have a lot of life, shelf life left. If they had right. kept it on the shelf for a few more days, it would have started to turn. And this is a way they make sure they don't waste it and people get a good deal. I was surprised at how much he got for it. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a lot. And you're, I mean, you're right. It's it's thirty bucks if you buy it when it's much fresher. So. Yeah, he said the peppers were like a little wrinkly. So I don't think you would have grabbed those from the produce yourself and been like, "Mm, these are the one I want, but they tasted fine. And he actually ended up freezing them because, you know, you can, you know, cut your vegetables, freeze them and use them later. So for someone who is looking to save money, it is seems to be a great deal. You get to choose obviously which lot you want. You can't get it at every store. You need this Flash Foods app and it's going to be only where the stores that have this produce. It's not like... You know, there's a, a box when you walk into Giant Eagle. So you need to have the app. You probably need to check it fairly often to see what they have and then decide if it's worth it for you. Well, so then, do you have to like run around to the different stores to pick up your 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 deal? Yes, you have to go to the specific store. And I oh. think he said there were three on the app that had these when he was looking, but it might be different every day. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So you probably have to have a little bit of time and you have to be able to cook if you want, you know, this is not for the person who has no time 
and uh, and doesn't like to cook. So if you subscribe to our site for 60 bucks a year, right off the bat, you'd have saved $25. It's worth, <laughs> it's worth supporting right. our that's, platforms. That's like the thing at the top of the PD that's like $236 in coupons inside, right? right? Exactly. We save you money. That's why his column is called Saving You Money. Check it out on Cleveland.com. It's today in Ohio. Lincoln Electric is a longtime, well-known welding brand in Northeast Ohio, but now it wants a role in the blossoming electric vehicle industry. Layla, what's the goal? Well, yeah, Lincoln Electric, known for its welders and motors, is going to branch out and start manufacturing electric vehicle chargers. These are going to be level three chargers, the kind that can charge vehicles in about 30 minutes. These powerful chargers are going to be found at charging stations along the interstates, so not in people's homes. Sean McDonald tells us that Lincoln Electric makes many of its components in-house. It assembles its own circuit boards, makes its own transformers, and electrical harnesses. It molds its own plastic parts, fabricates its own parts out of sheet metal. So that minimizes a need to outsource. So they're in a really good position to get started here. Lincoln Electric plans to enter the market when these EV charging networks expand as part of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Um, and um, they're being, you know, they're being given funding to build vehicle charging networks with the goal of installing, um, uh, wait, pardon me, um, as part of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, states are being given funding to build vehicle charging net networks with the goal of installing 500,000 electric vehicle chargers across the country by 2030. So this fits very nicely into that, into that plan. And uh, the law also requires chargers to have a certain amount of components made in the U.S., which gives Lincoln's Cleveland-based facility a leg up on overseas competitors that would need to build factories here. So they see this as... Uh, the path is wide open for them. It's amazing how fast this industry is is moving. It, 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 you see revolutions in sectors and occasion in history. And the electric vehicle industry is just moving so fast. And I can tell you, a lot of people who listen to this podcast are big believers in it because every time we talk about it, they email and say, hey, this is a good thing. You don't quite understand it. And you know, you don't charge your car all at once. You top it off and they're, they're paying very close attention. And this is just coming down the tracks. And for Lincoln to create a whole new division for it, that's really building for a great future for the company and manufacturing in Northeast Ohio. So is that the answer to our question that we keep asking, <laughs> that you just top it off? So you would go to yeah, one of these charging stations and you would plug in for just like five minutes and then you'd be fully charged and you don't or, wait until your battery is fully depleted? Yeah, I mean they're they're saying look, you you would have it plugged in at home, so you'd start the day with a full charge, and then as you go about, you're not waiting for it to get to zero. You would take advantage of of your stops to to quickly charge it. That a lot of the the places you'll go to will have charging stations, so you go grocery shopping, you'll you'll plug in, and you'll mm -hmm. and they're 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 painting a much more holistic vision of how you would use these. We keep falling back on, but what if I want to drive to Maine? But that's that's the rarity. I mean, that's not your day-to-day -day use of a car. And they're pointing out that most people, their day-to-day -day use of the car, this will fit very, very nicely into the patterns of the day. Um, so, it, and, and they are getting faster and the batteries are getting more efficient very quickly. And so, look, it's it's the future. I mean, California, what did they do? They, they're going to ban electric or uh, gas-powered vehicles in a few years as it stands. So 
this is here. And it's nice to see Northeast Ohio with its automotive history grabbing a big piece of it. You know, we have the Ford plant that's going to be becoming a part of the electrical vehicle industry. And then Lincoln Electric, it's a very different move for them. But but with their power and their reputation, that could be pretty serious. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. It's Today in Ohio. With more and more police departments relying on state investigators to determine the facts in police shootings of people, how backed up are those agents this year? Lisa, this number was a surprise to me. It was, but I was even more surprised that it was higher last year. So, But the Bureau of Criminal Investigation, which is under the state attorney general's office, has taken 41 officer-involved shooting cases from across Ohio. Seven of, seven of them are from the Northeast Ohio area. But by this time last year, there were 47. So we're actually down about six cases, but still an alarming number. There are three cases in Akron, including the Jalen Walker shooting by eight Akron police officers. There were also ones in South Euclid. That was a March 18th uh, Euclid PD officer shot a man over a loud music complaint from a car. There was also one in South Euclid on August 14th where officers fired at a man who rammed the police cruiser and then ran off. But there were also ones in North Olmstead and Portage County. Uh, Attorney General David Yost says investigations take about 400 hours to complete, you know, so they're definitely being exhaustive. But 400 times 41 is an awful lot of time. I, this has got to be a significant cost increase over the years for the attorney general's office. This has become what, what police departments do to get rid of any thought that there's a bias in the investigation or to duck responsibility for the investigation. They're sending it to Yoast, And if he's got to investigate 40 and 50 and 60 of these a year, that's got to cost a lot of money. I wonder if, uh, how he's partitioning his budget to account for that. Or I wonder if he's thinking of trying to bill it back to the cities that are seeking his help. Yeah. And we haven't talked about the cost portion of it, but I'm sure, you know, we'll be on that story. But Yost did say that cities can use another police department as long as it's an independent, as long as they're independent from the use of force incidents. So that's kind of interesting. And I know that Cleveland does their own probes or they use an outside agency. So, you know, Cleveland does go a different way, but I felt like Yost was suggesting you know, you don't have to bring them to me. You can kind of take them to another police, you know, department, which I thought was interesting. Cleveland police do their own investigation, but the prosecutor turns it all over to Yost's office to decide whether or not to seek a charge. So we're still getting Yost's involvement in it. Interesting story. It's on cleveland.com and you're listening to Today in Ohio. So Laura is the new leader of Great Britain, a fan of the Cleveland Browns, meaning she's the one, the one fan that'll be watching this weekend. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we know what she said four years ago. We have no idea how she feels about Deshaun Watson or anything else with the Browns now. But as she tweeted out four years ago when she was at a Browns game, she was wearing a Browns jersey, holding a hot dog um, at a game against the New York Jets. And she said, must be time for a Browns win. And she actually said Cleveland was her kind of town. She was in Cleveland this uh, exploring the possibility of the UK getting its own NFL team. So obviously that has not happened. But uh, Joey Marona wrote the story, and I got to give him a uh, hat off to him because he did it pretty quickly. And it was just the right tone of this. Uh, but obviously we're talking about Liz Truss and the new prime minister. Okay. Uh, I mean, the, having her in the jersey kind of says where she stands, but I don't know. It's today in Ohio. 
Layla, we saved this for you today. We didn't talk about it yesterday. Is the decision final? What will become of Cedar Point's top thrill drag You know, I'm not sure if this surprises me or not. It shouldn't, I guess. I kind of thought, though, that they might repair it and reopen it after a season or two because it's been an iconic ride at the park since it opened 20 years ago as the world's tallest coaster at that time. But Cedar Point has decided to retire the dragster which has been closed since last August. That's when it severely injured a woman waiting in line after a part of the high-speed train came disengaged and hit her in the head. Uh, I do think that that incident was so unsettling for people, though, that a lot of park patrons would feel very uncomfortable with those cars flying around again, no matter how many reassurances Cedar Point issued about it. So a park spokesman said in a tweet this week that they're working on a new reimagined ride experience in place of the dragster. No word yet on what that might be, but it's in a really central location on the midway between the corkscrew and the magnum. So it's a great opportunity for Cedar Point. As Joey Joey Morona points out in his story, the park has a history of breathing new life into retired rides. Avalanche Run became Disaster Transport. Mantis became Rougarou. Mean Streak became Steel Vengeance. And each time they they used much of the existing structure. But, um, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine the dragster track. You know, it's so unique that it's hard to imagine repurposing it. Do do those of us who've never been to Cedar Point a favor and describe what this ride is. The dragster? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, if you've seen the picture of it, right? So it's like, oh, man. I mean, you're sitting in the car and... Um, that's the, that's, it's the one ride that every single time I've ridden it, I get nervous because you're, you're, they have you staring at this, this stops stoplight and it's, it's on red and the engine is revving. And then all of a sudden the light goes from red to yellow to green, and then it fires you off like a rocket and you go up straight, I mean, straight like a rocket, then straight up 90 degrees up over, you know, this 420 foot spire and over the top, it twists you and then straight down again, 90 degrees, and then right back to the station. And it's over in about 15 seconds, but it is like you're having an out of body experience. It is the most intense ride in the park, in my opinion. And every single time I've ridden it, it is the same feeling. And I'm a little sad that my kids will never experience it (laughs) because it's so intense. And if you ride in the front car, it's a completely different experience from even one car behind that. And it's so crazy. Um, I mean, I assume like Lisa and Laura, have you ridden on the dragster? Oh, dear Lord, no. My roller coaster days are, I don't have the bladder control to ride a roller coaster. (laughs) I just don't. (laughs) No, I have never ridden it. Really, Laura? I mean, I literally went to Cedar Point once as a teenager and then didn't go back until like two years ago. And my kids are not roller coaster fans. Wow. Not yet. I one time waited four hours to ride this 15 second ride. Wow. Yes. And I wish my kids would have the memory in, you know, to have, you know, that they once have, I wish that they had ridden it at least one time, but it's going to be gone because it is intense and there's nothing like it. So maybe something that they put there will will have the intensity and the excitement of the dragster. But rest in peace, dragster. Uh, I'm sorry s- that it ended this way. I'm so glad we saved this question for when you were back. <laughs> it's today in Ohio. That's it for a Thursday discussion. Come on back Friday. We'll wrap up the week of news. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. And thank you for listening.